Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. We made it. We're back. Episode three. Listen, you said something last episode that uh, was, I think, and you do this uh, often, uh, you say things way more controversial than your tone implies, but we actually started dipping our toe into the Christian world and Mm. God and sex and the relationship between those two things, and let's just be clear up front for the sake of our listeners, this is a total mess. I mean, there could not be a more proper word for this than chaos. And we've got all this stuff emerging in our Christian culture these days, and that's being seen and read far and wide, and there's so much to talk about. It's, it's a shame that we have to keep this to roughly 30 to 40 oh, minutes, yeah. but we, look, guaranteed, we're going to loop back around to this. But today is just a way, this episode is a way to start the conversation about the relationship between God and sex and how complicated and messy the church and Christians and Christian history has made that Talking about lies last episode, I mean, there's a lot of those lies that are banked in here. Uh, but here's here's how I'd like to start this conversation today for this episode. I'd really like to talk about religion's relationship with <laughs> sex and how that sets us up for failure. Oh well, you know, there's there's a, there's a deep history, um, you know, throughout the church um, of just how this has been used and misused in a lot of different ways, and certainly. We've seen the you know scandal with the Catholic Church, and then the soon to come. Well, it's in the in the mix right now with the Southern Baptist Convention and what's going on there. And um, hopefully, on a future episode, uh, we're going to have um, uh, one of the uh, managing directors from Guidepost Solutions uh, that is doing the investigative work there. Um, not to talk about, she's certainly not going to talk about specifics, but right, yeah. but pretty fascinating um, because they are the they are the group that gets called in uh, when there's some form of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, and they do a lot of other things uh, besides that. But they are they are the people that get called. Uh, they were the ones that did the Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Um, some of our listeners may be familiar with what happened with Ravi Zacharias, Christian apologist, well-respected. Uh, I listened. I used to listen to Ravi. Uh, you Same. did too. Yep. And, man, just a, I mean, brilliant, um, just a brilliant person, brilliant man, but very broken because you know this stuff came out um, even right before he died, and um, and then this Guidepost Solutions was called in to going to help the organization deal with the the scandal and then even ongoing training and we're seeing that left and right you know across christendom uh, these leaders these people that we've looked up to that um have you know preached about sex and sex on some level um but but man they're just falling left and right and um so it, it's not just out there in the crazy world uh, it's also within the church, and there, I believe there's lots of reasons why that's occurring. Um, you know, we can talk about that. That's a that's that's probably ten episodes mm. of just the systemic problem uh, in how Christian pastors are trained, uh, all the way from cemetery. I mean, seminary 
um, all the way. Never gets old. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's Freudian slip. <laughs> um, but then the way that they're trained and all the way into the organization, the institution, and the practice, and how it's just systemically broken, as Paul David Tripp writes about in his book, Dangerous Calling. And so there's just a systemic problem, you know, within, with even certainly within the body of Christ. Um, it's not like all these guys are out there doing evil and they're just, you know, sheep, um, wolves among sheep. Uh, but they're just, there's a brokenness, there's a cancer that, um, that kind of permeates the culture. Um, and, you know, part of what our hope is, even doing this podcast, is beginning to kind of apply some chemo and uh, maybe even radiation uh, to, the, to, to this cancer of just sexual brokenness uh, that's just very real. Yeah, what we've operated in, I think, up until this point that's worked for a very long time in the rounds is clergy denial and congregation Mm. ownership. So the clergy's denying what's going on, and then the people who are in their congregation have to own all of the things that happen, and then clergy, if it is ever brought to light, then there's a group of people, and we we should say predominantly men, that are making these decisions in rooms, where denial and concealment is the way to go, and let's get this man to move on so we can replace him with another man, because if we don't and this comes to light, then there's maybe a 1% chance I will have to face publicly my own issues. I certainly don't want to do that. So we've just got a really bad ecosystem here where religion that has all the most beautiful, powerful things to say to inform sexuality because of our own shame, because of our own word that we would use, sin, missing the mark, being something other than what we were created to be or what God desires from us, then we have this ecosystem that feeds itself. And as a result, the people who are in churches or have run up against religion or faith, if they spend any significant period of time, they're going to notice there's an inconsistency here. What's happening today is that information is able to spread much further. Mm. I mean, think about it. Today we're watching <laughs> a firsthand account cell phone videos from war. That wasn't the case before. We had like reporters that we were sending to Vietnam, you know, capturing footage. And there's a whole history there. But now we're able to say if a pastor falls in the a.m., then mm. there's a video in the p.m. that goes out all, By noon. Yeah, all across yeah. all across the world. And you know what? I would say some of that's fantastic. It is. Because we do need to exist within a level of accountability that, that, that is that large. However, it is doing a lot of damage because over time, people who um, thought that they concealed, could conceal these things are being brought to light. And there's this kind of cultural feeling right now that people who are believing people don't have anything smart to say, and oh, they yeah. certainly don't live what they preach. So we're attempting to, because there is an underpinning, an undercurrent of people who are involving God in their sexual journey, as we say, and uh, trying to figure out how those two things work mm. together. But publicly speaking, because we've made uh, pastors specifically uh, just kind of a Christian ver- version of famous, which is so comical. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Outside of Christian circles, nobody knows who these people are, that, right? Absolutely. Uh, but inside of Christian circles, they're made many gods. Mm. And uh, if this many god is deceptive and is actually doing some really dark stuff, even on the campus of a church, we got a big problem. Oh, yeah. 
We don't necessarily want to focus on that in this episode, though. What we want to talk about mostly is that religion and sex have a very complicated relationship with each other. And what's happening is the people who are involved with religion run into that complication and damage ensues. Oh, well, and, you know, one of the things that we, we've talked about betrayal trauma uh, in previous episodes, and we'll talk about that a uh, lot more. Um, we'll have Eva on here talking about uh, betrayal trauma after infidelity. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that we talk about is, like, betrayal trauma within the church. Because even, I mean, people that are kind of on the periphery in a, in a, in a faith community, uh, when there's some kind of betrayal, infidelity, some form of sexual acting out, and it gets discovered, the ripple effect of that is tremendous. And, and even I've sat with people who were just kind of, you know, pew warmers. I mean, they were there, but they weren't really, you know, that engaged or involved, but they went to church at this certain place. And, and the effect that it has on them, and certainly it's like relationship with God and, and trust and authority and all of these things, um, there is a, a factor of betrayal trauma that occurs when that type of thing comes out. Um, and so you, you see the effects of this stuff and how it affects people just in general. Um, and even, of course, you just watch the news and some political person, uh, we're not going there because that's just a total, wa- total waste of time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, something comes out and it's like, and then, I mean, there's a ripple effect. I mean, people certainly have lost their faith and trust and in authority figures in general. And when you look at politics and politicians and pastors, man, the poll numbers around, you know, all of that, you know, trust factors, it's just, I mean, it, it keeps plummeting. Um, and and certainly this is part of that in the broader culture of why we are where we are. Mm. And the the sexual part um, is in uh, the sexual acting out infidelity that gets discovered. It, it's a part of the broader discussion, I think, that is not really ever discussed. A friend of mine was quoting recently something <laughs> that he had read, and I thought this was genius, so I'm going to repeat it. That's what I do. I've learned yeah. that from you, actually. It, I call it, it's not plagiarism, it, you're a curator. You just write. It's <laughs> I like, love that yeah, word. Yeah, we're yeah, just so, curators of information. Yeah, my friend looks at me and he says, look, um, most pastors want to be politicians, and most politicians want to be pastors. Mm. They're just kind of different versions of the same guy, which it's is very true. It's scary how true that actually is. But let's do this, and I'm going to just, if ever in our relationship I've ever just put it up on the tee for you to hit a uh, home run, this is it. Yeah. Because this is the question that our listeners are asking, and, and almost everyone in this situation, church fallout, you know, those sorts of things, even if they're not connected to the, today with the digital age. I mean, let's take Hillsong for a great example. Mm. I've been listening to Hillsong albums since I basically came to faith in Jesus Christ, you know, and yeah. Brian Houston, like, whoa, this guy's got it. And Carl Lentz, he's the new guy with the tattoos and the right. So all those names people probably don't recognize. But the question that the that people do ask, even if they've never walked through the door at Hillsong, how does this happen? How does this person of faith, this pastor, do this thing? How does this student pastor actually have sexual intercourse with a 15-year-old girl Mm. inside of his student ministry. How does this happen? I think we get so confused because of the paradigms we exist within. I would love for you to answer the question. (laughs) This is how this happens. 
Yeah, if if I can completely answer this question, I'll probably we'll uh, we'll be doing infomercials and we'll be flying around in a jet. Okay, let's right? do it. Yeah, I'm yeah, game. I'm in. Uh, call Tony Robbins. Um, <laughs> but I think I think that the way it works, um, you know, especially in in faith communities, uh, specifically evangelical faith communities. Um, there's this emphasis on kind of what I would call performance-based acceptance. Um, and, and it's like if I perform well and if I do it right and I get it all right and everybody sees me performing well and being perfect, then, you know, I am good, right? And that a lot of times goes back to the system, the family system you grew up in, and then you get into another system that just perpetuates that even on a bigger scale because you've got to be perfect, um, you know, it, it truly, I mean, we pick on pastors uh, a little bit, uh, but but the system sets it up to where you cannot be honest and you cannot be real. And, and there's a part of the people that actually want that, right? And so the people contribute because we want to believe that the holy man is possible, that somehow that guy, he's got it all together. He doesn't struggle like I do. And I can get there, right? And so really we kind of put them on the Jesus pedestal. And that's just like not real. And and then they begin to kind of fall into that trap because I can't say if I wasn't in that system, I wouldn't do the same thing because I like to eat. I like my stuff. I like my house. I like, you know, yeah, self-preservation. I, I, because if I get honest, then chances are I'm, I'm getting I'm, fired. Well, I'm going to get shot first, <laughs> and then I'm going to get fired. Yeah, and I'm going to get beat over the head with the Bible somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just a reality. I've seen that over the years in these situations that have been just horribly mishandled, um, and that's a whole nother discussion because you know the people that are making these decisions of like you know trying to deal with a situation like this that comes up in a church, you know, the deacons, the elders, the leaders, you know, they have no idea how to deal with it either because they're like doctors and lawyers and business guys. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not, they're not counselors. And even if you have a counselor, they're not trained and most of them have no training to deal with this. And uh, we've just seen like terrible situations resulting from that where everybody gets wounded and, and dies as a result of how mishandled it is. Mm. And so I think the system sets it up, and then certainly, you know, we've all got this dark side, right? I mean, Scripture's clear about that. You know, we have hearts that are prone to wander, uh, and then if we break it down into Hebrew and the Yetzer uh, Hara, which is the dark side, the evil side, uh, uh, that we all have, uh, that's just a part of uh, human creation, um, versus the Yetzer Hatav, which is the good side. Um, and, you know, even, you know, God comes to Cain in, in Genesis, and like he's like, Cain, this desire that you have, uh, if you don't master it, it will destroy you. And it's interesting, you know, somehow God, I guess, could have prevented, he knew Cain was getting ready to kill Abel, and, and then Cain goes and kills him. I mean, it's kind of a twisted story, like, God, what? Why didn't you stop this? Yeah, what's what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, but but that word desire is is the yetzer uh, hara, which is the the dark side, mm-hmm. um, and it encompasses everything: envy, greed, lust, all the de- all the bad stuff. And then 
you know, in Psalms it says that delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's the hatav. That's the good stuff, the, the, the basic desires, the good desires of every human heart that God's placed within us. And so it, it, it's like we've got this kind of conundrum that came after the fall, the knowledge of good and evil. And so that part of us, like, I don't want anybody to know that dark side, right? Mm. I need to hide that because I just got to, you got to see my good because if you know I've got this, then somehow I won't be accepted. You'll reject me. You'll run out of the room screaming if I tell you, you know, what I really think and the things that I do. Yeah. And and that's the just basic human fear because we all desire uh, to be accepted, to be included, to be chosen. Uh, those are the some of the basic desires of every human heart. And so we, the system sets it up, and then if we throw the porn thing in there, um, you know, and just even in sexuality we talked about in previous episodes of just the shame um, of, like, this part of me that, you know, I don't want, I, I want to get rid of it. And that's one of the myths that somehow I can just uh, kind of cut that sexuality part of me out, and then I'll have victory. Uh, you know, some of our listeners... <laughs> That, that don't come from a faith background, like that's just kind of... It the, sounds silly. It, it is silly, It is right? silly. Because, yeah. yeah, I'm just basically, uh, I'm, I'm trying to deny my human nature completely. Adrian Hickman uh, said just recently something I was a part of uh, in training. He said, I really have a quick way to evaluate pastors, which was yeah. interesting to me as a pastor at the time listening to it. He said, all I asked him to do is take a picture of his office. We don't even have to talk. Yeah. Uh, he just emails me a picture of his office. I'm super intrigued. I'm like, where's this guy going with this? And, you know, out of Capstone, he's, he's one of those dudes, too. Like, you, you feel like you probably just killed something with his bare hands. Uh, but he says, I, take, I get him to send me a picture of his office. If his computer is facing the public, we got a good chance. If his computer is facing the wall and himself, He's probably sexually addicted. hundred percent. Yeah, and that's he said, a great, "This is that's a yeah, I like that." This test. is a huge indicator, but and and I don't I don't want to get on my soapbox having. Well, spent, let me just say here we're sitting in my office, and I just want everybody to know my computer is like facing facing your clients. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, yeah, it would be easy for me to get on a soapbox here because I lived under that pressure um, as a an attendee of a church, but mm. more specifically on staff at a church for a decade. I lived under that pressure, and it, this is what it feels like. Well, you can't be in trouble. If you're in trouble, we're all screwed. That's it. Yeah. So, but that's this is an indicator of the broken system that you're talking about. We don't really need Jesus. We need a perfect pastor. Oh yeah. If we just have that, oh yeah. Then who needs Jesus, right? Now, this is not the language that we use inside of churches, and there are good people that don't believe that. Right. But the wave <clears throat> of most people that are entering into a contract with with churches, I need to see that you're okay so that I can believe that I'll be okay. Oh yeah. The problem with that is the biblical narrative and also the life of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting these pastors start studying the Bible and digging into having to teach every week, and you've got two options. You're either going to adopt the company line or you're going to let the text talk to you. So just do this little insider trading here on the Bible. Um, when you start reading the Bible, you're like, I'm, I have looked all week for a person that wasn't screwed up in here. I can't find them except for Jesus. Maybe the Bible is trying to communicate something there. Yeah. Just reading this past week, you've got this guy Solomon, which, you know, and I've even done it. Like, yeah. this guy's the smartest man to have ever lived. 
And then you you go over seven chapters and you're like, wait a minute. He's got 700 of... Dude, I always say if Solomon walked into my office and told me his story, I would be like, dude, we got to get you to treatment. This is bad. This is this is really bad, man. You are headed to on-site <laughs> got, this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. 700 women that he's having sex yeah. with. Wow. So, so here's the uh, here's the problem. You know, <laughs> some of our male listeners are like, wait, how yeah, do you yeah, roll yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but here we have the problem in that the system is not designed to be honest about the very sacred text that it talks about every week. It's just amazing. And it certainly wouldn't push a person out to the front who's instructing people every week. You yeah. know, now, some churches are making inroads on this because churches are having to respond, especially yeah. these megachurch pastors that we thought really, you know, if they take one step out of their office, they're probably going to land in heaven. You know, that's how close to God these, these people are, predominantly men. Like, wow, they're just as sexually addicted as I am. Mm. They were just able to conceal it with religious language yeah. for the better part of their adult well, life. I always say the thing about just the sexual brokenness, um, especially within the church, I mean, you, you, if I guess if you're kind of a crackhead and you're a pastor, I, that's it's probably going to get found out pretty quick, right? Somewhere. Yeah, yeah somewhere along the line. We're going to figure that out. Yeah. Or if you're an alcoholic and a pastor. You I know. think they call the crackheads televangelists. Okay. That's a, that, yeah. that's There's it. a name for those. Oh, yeah. I forgot about those guys. Um, <laughs> How but, could you? I, I know. Love them. Um, but it's like, you know, they uh, you can't be an alcoholic and be a pastor, you know, preaching uh, sermons drunk. Uh, it actually might be better, <laughs> but you, people are probably not going to be too happy with that. Mm. And the thing about this stuff is how it can just go underground. And, you know, we always talk about what man covers, God will uncover, because it's always coming out um, in some crazy way. Yeah. One of the books I want to write in the future is uh, How I Got Found Out, because I sit with guys and I hear these stories and I go, dude, you look like kind of a smart guy, but wow, that wow, was that stupid. was stupid. <laughs> and, and the only way that it can be explained is just but God, and yeah. God just intervenes because God loves us too much to leave us in that state of, uh, just disordered soul, chaos, and pain. And so he's it's going to be revealed, and it always comes out. And then when it comes out with these guys that are leaders um, that people look up to, it has such a detrimental effect across the, you know, not only the, the body of Christ, but even the broader culture and how it plays out. Um, and, Ben, we could, there's an extensive list, you know, at this point. Uh, that we could go down of all the the guys that this has happened um, with, mm. and and even you know again, there's been some women kind of faith leaders that have um, kind of you know same type things have come out in some way, and so you know okay, women, you're not off the hook. Um, I always say the all these these guys acting out with women, I think they're like they're not just all you know acting out in some same sex way. Uh, there's women involved too, um, yeah. and that's another uh, episode on the podcast as well. Because you know the numbers that we're seeing of women uh, being involved with pornography um, and rapidly other, increasing. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, those numbers have just been going up steadily um, over the last you know ten, fifteen years, and they continue. Uh, the trend is upward. Uh, we're not going down. Yeah. So part of it is that we've been able to, and I and I can say this honestly. We've been able inside of the church world to compartmentalize, we think, compartmentalize our sexuality and our faith. Mm. So part of what I want to do on this episode is, as odd as this sounds, 
invite God into the conversation about sex and attempt to begin the conversation of what is a healthy relationship between God and sex? I, I hear you mention things like it runs through the Bible. There's some very explicit examples of, of sexuality, and the Bible doesn't just ignore sexuality. And it isn't just this one crazy book that one Lifeway weirdo writes a book about, the Song of Song. Like it's, it's cover to cover. We're talking about the human experience, and it doesn't dodge sex. It's obviously something that God created and designed. Um, but how do, we, how do we bring him in? How do we let God out of the box and bring him in to talk about sex? Well, I think just fundamentally, you know, when, you know, God is a God of order. Um, and, you know, he, he brought order to the chaos. Even in Genesis, you know, the earth was formless and void. And then God brings order to that. And, um, you know, this idea of, you know, sex outside of the created order. Um, and, and again, I, you know, I, I don't want to, we probably will offend people, but, but wait, what, wait, I just have to pause here. I, I know. When did you become concerned about offending people? I know, Is this a new development? It, it, I'm working on it. I'm, okay, I'm working right. on it. I'm I'll trying. encourage you in that. Yeah, yeah be careful. I know. Um, but but even, you know, I have sat with guys that uh, are dealing with same-sex attraction. Uh, sometimes it is what we would call unwanted same-sex attraction. And then there's others that uh, that would identify as gay, and they're living that lifestyle and you know, the, I've worked with those guys. I'm not trying to pray the gay away. Um, that, that's that's yeah. If you're if yeah, that's been a thing. Um, but but maybe I'm working with a guy that's uh, identified in that way. That's just trying to get off grinder, and he's just mm-hmm. having you know it's it's basically sexual addiction. Yeah. Um, and I'm just I'm trying to help the guy where he's at, and I'm trying to help him with his goal mm-hmm. uh, in the therapy process. But, but even with those guys over the years in the groups and all the things that I've done and been a part of, one of the things that I see is like, man, uh, sex outside of the created design is problematic. Outside of the created design, it is chaos. Because what I'll see is lots of anxiety, lots of depression. And that's true for, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I want to pick on the heterosexuals too, uh, I think so often, you know, we, we throw stones at the guys dealing with same-sex attraction or homosexu- Boy, we? homosexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell pastors all the time, hey, why don't we, let's try to fix this heterosexual thing first because, like, there's couples in your church, uh, probably you too, um, that that this is a very unhealthy um, kind of um, way that they are living uh, with their own sexuality. I won't say this very often. Yeah. Uh, we should probably start like a little chart here on the wall. Uh, that was a very Jesus thing that you just said. Okay. All right? right. Ah, that good. it is more important to address the plank or the log yeah. in, in your own eye before you start to become an ophthalmologist. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you can't even get close to that other person's eye, you know? No. And I love the equanimity with which you approach all of this. Like sexual brokenness is sexual brokenness. Now, our culture has decided, oh, that, that one's really bad. This one's kind of okay. Oh, yeah, even exactly. That's, even that's disturbing. Um, but what we're talking about here is if you get outside of the created order or design, as you've repeated often, then you're going to run into these things, and it doesn't it, it, matter what your version of brokenness is. It, it's the physical, it's like, you know, gravity. I mean, the apple falls in, uh, from the tree and hits the ground. And, and kind of in the, in the spiritual realm, in the soul realm, 
there's just consequences to behavior that is outside of the the created design. Mm-hmm. It's just like with your car, you know, if you don't run it according to the way it's designed to be run, there's going to be problems. Yeah, if and, you were to pull out of your driveway and say, you know what, yeah. I'm just going to stay in reverse. Yeah. That, I'm yeah. just one of those guys that likes reverse. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have a whole reverse Facebook book group and we get together well now we got those little cameras and we can probably you know we can it, it's possible through. yeah look at the yeah. camera but if yeah. you saw a guy <laughs> driving in reverse every day to work you'd be like wait, wait a minute there's an, good. there's an easier way yeah oh <laughs> right? yeah yeah and and so it and it runs just when you look at uh, i don't even want to talk about it but when you look at the transgender stuff and you look at the suicide rates and all of that and now where we are with this and encouraging you know little children uh, to somehow embrace this sexual confusion, you know, psychobabble, we call it gender dysphoria. Um, it, it's like, man, we're just, the whole thing is upside down because that's really like child abuse uh, to do that. Um, A little and, bit of what you're referencing is yeah. that we're moving in pre, prefrontal cortex development. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Like it's We have said for generations, millennia. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it, it takes a while to grow up. Right? Yeah. It takes a while to make these decisions well. Exactly. By design, right? The, the brain isn't finished developing. And we talk a lot about this in, a, in addiction counseling and addiction uh, science. Like, hey, this brain, there's still a lot of plasticity here. And we're encouraging, and we could get into this for a lot of different reasons, but we're encouraging these decisions to be made before the person is even aware what type of decision they're actually making. And that's just a bad idea in a lot of respects. Oh, totally. You know, I mean, I've heard you say, I've heard you say repeatedly, if I see a pastor that's under 40, I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you, and you're saying, I, have, I say that. Yeah, you're yeah. saying that for a particular reason. And I'm not saying that I really disagree with you. Yeah. Right. Because there's just stuff that that stuff hasn't really set yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For you to be in a position where you can teach somebody else about how to do something. And, this pervades our culture in so many different ways that you reference nine years old. And uh, there, are, there are literally prepubescent women that are pursuing surgery to fix their genitalia because what they're seeing on pornography. Yeah. This, is a, this is a big industry. Oh, yeah. And the people that are making money off that industry, they're okay with that. Yeah. Sure, sure. we can do that for you. Yeah, and yeah. the culture embraces it. Um, and I use the term counterfeit compassion. Right, and you see that so often because, you know, they think they're being compassionate because these people are like confused. Uh, I, one of the terms under our sexual brokenness umbrella is just sexual confusion, and when you have a culture that is perpetuating all of this, well, it's easily children are easily influenced, and you, I mean, like, you see the fad of like somehow this is courageous when you just admit that you are. You know, uh, I'm a boy, but uh, I'm really a girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so courageous. And and we're affirming something that is really um, very confused and uh, probably has, you know, deeper, there's deeper stuff going on um, in different ways. Or they could have seen it on TikTok, too, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now you're courageous. And so you're getting some affirmation and validation with this attention-seeking behavior. Yeah. And so there's there's lots to it. And part of what we should mention yeah. here is it, we're using that word uh, courage and compassion and all of those things. 
you know, I would know, I have known you as a man of compassion, and I certainly wouldn't want that to be misinterpreted. Yeah. But I think it is very uh, compassionate and courageous to be honest about the line that you take if someone's pursuing um, sec- uh, breaking sexual addiction or sexual confusion. Uh, you wouldn't want to bait them into a system that then once you start getting honest about it, like, whoa, this doesn't match. That's the same thing we just talked about with the church. You don't want to be a part of that and saying, hey, yes, you do believe in several forms of sexual brokenness. So you don't choose one over the other that's bad or good, but we're looking to repair that brokenness to put people back together within a created order. That's just who you are. That's who Sex God and Chaos and the team and LifeWorks, that's, that's who you guys are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and certainly, you know, we come from a, um, a faith perspective, and uh, certainly that faith is, you know, based on the, the real Jesus, not the church Jesus. And when you look at his life and uh, the things that you see there, one of the things that Jesus did, uh, Jesus told the truth, right? Um, he confronted uh, the stinking thinking in a lot of different ways. Um, I always say Jesus mostly walked around picking fights. Um, Boy, did he. I love him. Yeah. That. That's, yeah. yeah. I'm all in. Um, but but he, he never... He never back down from the truth and um and and he just spoke the truth and he brought reality uh to the room and certainly he was compassionate um there's just that that's who he is that's who he was that's who he is today uh, he was most offensive to the religious always that's quickly forgotten yeah um but it was today it's reversed the religious are most comfortable with jesus and the people outside of the church are the least comfortable with jesus well if that's happened, we've done exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we have a real Jesus and a church Jesus, and those two those two things don't match. Yeah, talk about dysphoria; those two things don't match, and we're kind of on a campaign. Uh, let me let me rephrase that. Yeah, we are very much on a very public campaign to say we've got to start turning this back mm. back to the real Jesus because that way it's possible to speak the truth and to have compassion. And even more importantly, to walk with people on a journey. You will see no poster board from the drugstore yeah. us waving that at people about how confused <laughs> and broken they are. That's right. No, no, we're getting in. We're jumping in with people and saying, yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to walk with you in this and, and prove our compassion that it isn't counterfeit over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it just, we're really just, you know, having discussions, having conversations um, on a um, uh broader scale about how this plays out in a lot of different ways. Um, and so I think, um, you know, certainly you know, knowing you as a pastor and uh, you have been compassionate, uh, but I know that you, you, you speak the truth. Um, and I think that's the part that's missing um, in how it gets construed in the culture and, you know, people will take some bogus research and science and, I always love the follow the science. Um, we saw that with the pandemic, uh, and it was pretty lame. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just you know, the, the, and the transgender stuff's just easy because it's like people, like normal people, look at that and go, "It's just the, this is not good." Um, and I mean, the, you know, the, there's science, quote unquote, air quotes around that mm-hmm. uh, in the in research that, like you know, can kind of be twisted in certain ways. Uh, which is true with any of this Anything. stuff. Yeah. And I always say, I think, you know, the, when, when I uh, sit with somebody and, and I've sat with a lot of people and then over the years you, when, you're, when your experience 
begins to line up with with truth in in the sense of just wisdom over the ages and then you're seeing it play out and you're you're observing people over a long period of time and like so now it's like it really is evidence of like what is the truth yeah and and i think that's you know we've we've thrown ancient wisdom um you know common wisdom just throughout the ages i mean forget I don't say forget church, but whatever, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's wisdom, uh, which is lived experience over time. And when things are wise, there's a reason for that. I'm uh, thinking now as you're speaking about Henry Cloud and the thing that we repeat often in our communities, uh, that growth occurs with these elements in place, grace and truth over time. Amen. That's that's how you grow. Uh, we have certain uh, communities that are trying to get people to grow through grace only. Certain communities trying to get people to go through truth only. Mm. Uh, that equation is probably one of the most potent equations in modernity. Oh, thank, yeah. thank God it was written out. Yes. We have to have grace. We have to have truth over time. And I think what we're saying in this episode today is that there's no one better than God at administering over our stories grace and truth without sacrificing either one to lead us to growth, growth out of our chaos, growth out of our misunderstandings of who God is, growth out of our sexual past that was broken that has put some messages in our life that we believe and we're operating from. This is what we're out to do with this podcast. Uh, we're, we are people of grace. We that doesn't mean that we can't be people of truth. Truth Amen. as we understand it. And I would say even further over time, I wouldn't put this on you, but there have been, and this will shock you, but there have been places uh, in my life where I've been wrong about things. Ah, yeah, weird. Yeah. No way. Even things that I've said publicly uh, in, in the pulpit. Do you, do you tell your wife that? Don't. No, no, no. no. no, no. She, yeah, well, she's, if you're looking for a person that's not impressed with me, yeah, see my wife. She won't <laughs> listen too. to this. Yeah, she won't <laughs> listen to this. Uh, but there have been times where I've said things publicly that in retrospect have been wrong. Uh, well, shouldn't that be the case that I should be growing and developing over time? Yeah. Yeah. I should be able to look back and say, yeah, that thing I said about uh, wives and sex, that that was more me than it was God. And I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Let's move ahead. You know, I've experienced some growth here. Oh, yeah. Because I've experienced God's grace over my story, God's truth over my story. I would love if we could, over these episodes, create... Um, a community mm. of people that are willing to receive both. What we're saying is you should be willing to receive both because you're going to see the direct positive benefits in your life if you do. Yeah, it's like this idea of like, you know, uh, I'll be talking to somebody and they'll just be like, well, that's just the way, Yeah, that's what I believe and that's just the way it's going to be. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Did you used to believe in Santa Claus, Right. Do you still believe in Santa Claus? Are you you know? do, you're 40 so, years old. Now you're picking on the church. Now you're picking on Santa Claus. Uh, what is sacred? To nothing, you? nothing. <laughs> but but it's like oh, it's like your belief system can change mm-hmm. as you live life and you have experiences and um, you you interact with others that have more understanding further down the road, whatever. And and that's wisdom. And so hopefully that those things are changing. And, you know, that belief system is one of the things that we work with in our process because we've all got these messages, uh, toxic shame messages that formed inside of us 
that form our belief system. And I can sing the song and have it in my head all day long. Jesus loves me, this I know for the I won't sing. Please don't. Terrible. Yeah. Um, but I can I can know that in my head, but what I believe in my gut is that I am on my own, I am inadequate, I am insignificant, I don't matter. It, those are that's my belief system. And if I've never uncovered that, if I've never understood that, then that's what I'm going to live out. And that's part of the process in all of this is beginning to ferret out that false belief system. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this stuff that you learned, you've got to unlearn. Uh, you thought it was going to get you closer to God. It don't work. you got to unlearn it, and you got to relearn like a little child, be born again. And, you know, we've bastardized that term, but that's, all, that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to start over with your fundamental belief system of how this works. And, I mean, Nicodemus, I guess, was the man. Uh, he kind of knew all that stuff, but Jesus is sitting there going, I think Jesus talked this way, like, dude, you don't get it, right? I think that's how Jesus would talk to Nicodemus. I, I could see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he was an American Southerner. Yeah, that, yeah. That's what you're trying yeah, to get yeah. across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he, if that was the case, he'd say, hey, man, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you got it all wrong. That's you're doing right. it all wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's, um, uh, and we can get into this at a later time, but there is a healthy process of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what you're describing, and that happens best. Uh, within the context of community. Always. Yeah. yeah. How we see God most clearly usually begins with seeing him through other people. 100%, because all of this stuff that happened to us, it happened in a relational and emotional paradigm. And I can't change it by listening to a sermon. I know that disappoints you greatly. Uh, but I always ask guys like, hey, I do man, write a great sermon. I know. You spend lots of hours, lots of meetings, lots of time on that. It is well spent, well spent. Um, but I always ask, I always ask people like, man, remember that sermon from like two weeks ago, right? Do you remember that sermon? I, I spoke it and I don't remember <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, 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 the fact that, I mean, it has very little affect, effect uh, to change. And so, because all this stuff happened to us in a relational paradigm, growing up and what we grew up in, and then there was emotion involved. And, and so the only way that it changes is in a relational and emotional paradigm. And Jesus models that just, I mean, he walked around with 12 guys, uh, you know, kind of telling stories, talking about relationship. Uh, all of those things happened in a relational paradigm. Even the healing of Peter uh, I think is the first example of experiential group therapy. I mean, Jesus is the master counselor, right? And like Jesus didn't pull Peter over, you know, the other side of the boat and said, hey, Peter, Peter, I just want to let you know I forgive you, right? No, Jesus does it in the group. He pulls Peter up there. He's recreated the exact scene of exactly where Peter was when he denied him three times. His best friend has betrayed Jesus and then Jesus recreates the exact scene, smoke, fire, the time of day. And then he does it three times. You know, Peter, do you love me? And, and he restores Peter in a relational and emotional experience in a group setting. I don't know. Maybe that's how it's supposed to work. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, 
visit sexgodchaos.com.